On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Pernilla Hughes, the author of rom-coms Probably the Best Kiss in the World and Punch Drunk Love. Her writing has appeared in the Sunday Times and the fabulous Sun Lounger summer anthologies. Her latest novel, 10 Years, is out now in the U.S. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I love that we coordinated with the stripes, by the way. You did. Well, yeah. Did. Yes. yes. Some stripes. <laughs> so tell our listeners a little bit about 10 Years. So 10 Years is the story of Becca and Charlie, who are endeavouring to complete a bucket list for a deceased loved one, in spite of the fact that they hate each other. It's a funny, slow burn romance, uh, haters to lovers romance, and uh, it spans 10 years, and it roams from London to Snowdonia, from Brighton to Cannes, as they bicker and banter their way through <laughs> these tasks. Oh, the yes. bickering and bantering is so good, and we're going to talk about that. Um, yes. you, you wrote that so well. So, but we want to start with Becca. Um, we get this first introduction to her character and who she is um, when she's giving the eulogy at Allie's funeral. That's the mutual friend that they've lost. Um, it's an incredible, off-the-cuff, heartfelt speech um, that lets us know really right away sort of how much she loved and relied on Allie, her friend, and how fiercely loyal a person Becca is. And she ends this eulogy with the flair of the actress that she is and says, I'll be at the pub, which I knew immediately I was going to love her. Um, but it's also just so very Becca. You just get who she is right with that line. So tell us about your development of her and how Allie, who remains really a strong presence in the novel, even though she is um, not in it, she has passed away, um, she really shapes who Becca is. It's hard for me to think of one of them without the other. So so tell me about Becca and your development of her. So we knew that, um, my, my editor and I, that this character of Becca, she was going to be spiky from the very beginning. I kind of almost viewed her, you know, Merida in Brave, Disney's Brave. Mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like a slightly feral Merida who was older and far more gnarly. And uh, I had this vision in my head. And we wanted her to be messy and flawed. Uh, it was around the time of Fleabag Series 2 being out. And not to say she's Fleabag, but it's that kind of, she didn't have to be saccharine and lovely she wasn't going to be and equally Charlie who is Ali's fiance he was going to be kind of uh, like very depressed and almost like do you have um, a program called Afterlife with uh, Ricky Gervais in it um, okay oh, yeah. but anyway uh, just that he's almost on the brink of you can't see the point of life anymore and so to have these kind of different uh, views because the book does look at grief in different ways and how people then uh, process the grief and mm -hmm. so with Ali and Becca they were always these best friends from school uh, Becca was you know in a, has had a tough start in life and Ali has just kind of picked her up and brought her through and so very much they are a, a, a kind of a little kind of unit together and then so when Ali dies it's Becca says you know I feel like I've been widowed you know half of me has fallen away and also not just that she's lost this person but she's lost the way this person views her Becca has yeah. not 
has been neglected as a child and uh, she just wants to be seen. And this was a person who really saw her. And so when she said, there's a line somewhere where she says, you know, Ali gave a crap about me and it's hard to give a crap about yourself if no one else does. And that's how really she feels. And so it was kind of looking at those things and Ali, she isn't there, but she is there. And, and that was part of it. Like I was writing this third character with, I didn't want to use flashbacks to use her. So it was very much trying to find ways of, it's almost showing her in a kind of a shadow form. And also, you know, at the beginning, you know, it's a funeral. Starting a rom-com with a funeral always felt like a bit of a gamble because that's not what people expect. And I really want them to keep with me. Uh, and, but at the same time, it's trying to, when people die, you're not supposed to speak badly of them, are you? But gradually over time, we also see that Ali has her flaws. And that was important to me as well yeah. to, to show that really, you know, just because someone's dead doesn't mean to say they were perfect or they are perfect. They're not. And so we, we need to acknowledge that. But of course, Becca, who is so loyal because you, if somebody loves you, you don't want to turn around yeah. and say they're not that great, do you? Because that's counterintuitive. So right. it meant that we needed to have that loyalty and Becca then finds it hard to see that her friend could be flawed in that way. Yeah, And that's where Charlie comes in. He mm. is the one who kind of helps her with that process of kind of letting the scales fall from her eyes. But Charlie has his own history, first of all, with Becca. And then also he has his own journey to go on kind of not being as pa so passive and defaulting to women who are willing to take control of his life for him. So Absolutely. tell us about your, yeah, your development of Charlie and why you wanted him to have a journey to go on as well. So I, I kind of set them up to be um, opposites in a way, right the way down to Becca's parents, neither of them wanted her, whereas Charlie's parents, both of them wanted him. And so you already have this diopposing uh, set of uh, experiences, but then what has that made of them? Well, Charlie's grown up trying to negotiate bickering parents or and and so he has just learned to notice when uh, there's going to be conflict and he will try to smooth out conflict it means that he tries not to have opinions or he goes with the flow I think a lot of the time and sometimes yes. he's prone to lying by omission which he has to learn that he can't do anymore and yes with Ali he had found a woman who he loves intensely. She is a strong woman. She decides things. He works out whether he's, you know, bothered enough to make a fuss of it. Yeah. Not, he never is. He just goes with that flow. So when yeah. Ali goes, then he's at a loss. And for him, the answer is just to vanish to South America for a year because he's in a position where he can do that, which Becca is not. She's a... An actress who's struggling, and so she doesn't have the money to just nip off um, like he does. So again, there's just trying to find ways of juxtaposing them against each other in the same kind of pursuit as progressing through their grief or learning to progress through the grief. Charlie, he takes more of a, I think it's quite common in, with men. I'm going to be very grossly generalizing, you know, that yes, move on, yes. new woman, move on. Uh, and right. whereas... Becca, you know, she is very much about honouring this best friend longer and she finds that appalling that Charlie could move on in any way. Mm. Yeah. I love when the male characters in the rom-com have their own arc and growth and journey to go on to. So you do that so well with both Becca and Charlie. 
Another thing we love about the book and love to discuss on here is this question of whether you can have more than one true love, capital T, capital L, and we debate it endlessly. And, you know, which is generally your book explores this, is the heart have room for more than one. And I often say that I feel that there is one true love with whom you are the most you with. Um, But, right, but Charlie makes a good point that I think Corinne would agree with that you, who you are, changes. And you might have many different versions of you throughout the course of your life, or you even in one relationship with the same person might change and have different versions of yourself. So I love that your book really did have something for both of us. And I felt yes. this was a very compelling case oh, for more than one true love, like 100%. So tell us your thoughts on this and why you wanted to explore this. Well, I think my view is that I believe in I believe in the one, but I believe you can have more than one, the ones, you know, and the luck yes. is that you don't meet yes. them at the same time. I think like the idea, <laughs> a good life would be that you meet them later. And from that thought, which I've held for a long time, I was thinking, well, okay, well, it makes sense to me that the one when I'm 18, 19 in my case, because I met my husband when I was 19, would not necessarily, you know, later, you know, when I'm an old biddy terrorizing the the cruise ships then you know my the one might be a different kind of person so no I think it naturally kind of fell for me to look at how do I marry that up that I, I can be a romantic and think there's a one but actually life is long and lots of things change and we all change and that was particularly a theme I wanted to look at in this book as well that you know we do change and we have to acknowledge that that 19 year old me is unlikely to what isn't I can tell that already you know my life has changed a lot and I have changed and it's as much luck that he and I have changed together in ways that we can follow the same path where I know that it's not always the case for for everybody and sometimes you much as people split up and that seems awful it's just they're not the same people anymore and those two people are not necessarily compatible and I, whereas 19 year old me would not have wanted to hear that I would have been devastated to hear that Actually, I see now that, you know, life has so many ups and downs and actually you just grow in different ways. Um, and so I think I really wanted to in- include that. And then the, the, the thing about the heart is that I've had, I've had four children and I know that with each child, it's not that I had any less love for, for, for the first one. It was just your heart gets bigger. It just gets, I guess what I believe. Yeah. I, I believe it gets bigger mm-hmm. and there is room. Yes, I agree. I think the children uh, parallel is a good one because nobody questions that. But I also am starting to think it's, it's also my refusal to like downgrade just because the relationship ended doesn't mean it wasn't true love and it existed for what it was supposed to exist for, the time it was supposed to exist for, the purpose it was supposed to exist for, and it's over, but it is not diminished in any way. And yeah, I mean, I, my husband is more special maybe than some, than the other ones, but that's because we are still together and we continue to grow and we continue to share that love. And it's not, um, yeah, I don't know. I love that. I loved your case for it. Thank you. (laughs) 
You're talking to two lawyers. So if we say you made a good case, then that's that's very impressive. You yeah. persuaded me. So that was very effective. <laughs> yeah. So you had already mentioned that 10 years is that, did you call it haters to lovers? Is that what yes. you call it? I always went yeah. with enemies yeah, we, to lovers. And then I've yes, had some same. reviews where they said, this is not enemies to lovers. This is haters to lovers. They're not fighting against each other for something. And it's like, okay, right. Haters to lovers. Ah, um, I have, I have right. been told. <laughs> The readers, they know best. They, oh, they yeah. keep track of these things. They're even better than the marketing people. They they know. They, they're the hive mind. So, okay, Absolutely. so we'll go with haters to lovers. Yes. Yeah. But, I, but even, I like that. But hate isn't even quite the right word. It is like, it's not actual hatred. There's frustration. There's conflict. But it's kind of thing that happens when somebody presses your buttons in a good way too. Like there's the potential because it's not the same as when you actually hate someone. It is. It's born from a different, really heated emotional place. Do you think that's they, right? They have kind of this low tolerance for each other. So I don't know how we phrase low tolerance <laughs> to lovers. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's not I very snappy in the in the in the marketing yes. terms. Uh, but it is that kind of thing. They, you're right. It's exactly what you've just said. They push each other's buttons and mm-hmm. sometimes gleefully and sometimes just naturally. And yeah. that was then the balance of how do I get it from the point where two people generally don't want to be in the same room as each other unless forced to can then be in love by the end of the story. Yeah. And Mm-hmm. I think for me, what was key was that two things. Uh, firstly, that they could always laugh together because I think being able to laugh with somebody, my husband and I are very different on paper, but we have always laughed at the same things. And I think that is a, a foundation stone, which is key to many, many couples. So throughout the story, there will be just interspersed little moments where they laugh at the same thing and uh, equally you know how family members, they can be having a row, but they will still do mm-hmm. a little kindness for the other, even mm. inadvertently. They didn't, and they wouldn't even admit to it if it was pointed out. But I think they do things for each other just subconsciously that are kind things. And they do those throughout as well. And again, I wanted to have that thing going on for the, the reader where you, you see them bickering and arguing and being mean to each other, but actually, you know, just sliding in under, they'll do a kindness uh, for the other, which says there's something else going on here, yes. which obviously, um, oh, I almost did a big spoiler there, uh, it shows there could be potential. There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that. I, that is a completely different angle than I was thinking about because it's not just the, no, because I'm like, is this a style of communication? It is a style of communication for me. It is how I, I operate and kind of what Charlie says, you know, it's like what we do. So I'm not, I don't fear those things, but other people wouldn't want that from their partner. They would maybe take it too personally or feel like they couldn't get past it. And I'm just like, we have to lay it all on the table in order to get past it and and work through our conflict and differences. So that is really interesting. I love those moments that they're laced with. Like what is underneath the conflict? What is underneath the disagreement? Is it is there kindness? Is there humor, shared humor? Because my husband and I have those things too. So oh, yeah. I love that. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I naturally myself shy away from conflict. So it was a joy to be able to write these two people who have 
Yeah. Never worried about what the other person thinks, or, or you know, not worried about offending mm-hmm. the other person. They yes. just didn't like each other. They yeah. you know, and, and they took joy in winding the other up. And so that was just a freedom to be able to just fling it out there. And I was just going to say that's a freedom. Yeah, I felt the freedom of the the way they speak to each other. Like you really went there. Like sometimes with these, there's bickering, whatever. They go at it. I mean, they take the gloves off um, in a lot of ways. But that to me was because they felt safe with each other in a way. And it's probably because of the things you've laced in there, like you've just mentioned. Um, So you you feel like it's okay and that it's it really is, as Corinne's saying, like a really honest form of communication. And I loved it. I loved the back and forth with them. Thank you. I think there's the scene towards the end where the gloves really come off. And I think that's kind of set in that Mm -hmm. thing with you know with family you, well, sometimes you hurt the ones you love most because you believe it's conditional. And I think with that, the aim was to really take it out of control. The gloves properly come off and they go beyond that boundary yes. where they have to realize, oh, it wasn't unconditional and now there's some mess to clear up here. And it, mm-hmm. that was really trying to take uh, it beyond and really examine that kind of thing. There is actually a line you can overstep and what happens then. Yeah. 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 Hey, hey, it's Jordan Ross Myers, the man behind Twitter's notorious Lee Radswell and Don Gunvalson. I'm inviting you to join me every week for the Pretty Corrupt podcast. Along with my co-host, reality casting director Stacey Noel Connor and disgraced entertainment TV producer Nate Safer, we deconstruct pop culture's past, present, and future and probe the dark crevices of Hollywood taking you inside the scandals, feuds, rises and falls of society's rich and infamous. Alongside interviews with our celebrity friends and special guest hosts, everything is fair game on the Pretty Corrupt Podcast. Every Tuesday on all streaming platforms and at storicmedia.com. Well, another theme, you have so many themes that we love that you explore in this, which is fate versus free will and taking control of one's destiny. And Allie had a a line that she would always use, make it happen. Yes. And Becca's journey is about how to do that on her own terms. And without the one person, as you mentioned, Allie, who she thinks believes in her and sees her. So she has to figure out how to make her dreams come true by believing in herself and Charlie has this idea that he can just flip a coin and that's how he's yes. going to decide things, which, you know, is not a bad idea sometimes, quite frankly, <laughs> yeah. when things are overwhelming. It's a simple, easy way to to figure things out. Um, but where do you sort of fall on this fate versus free will spectrum on like sort of how much we can control and how much we choose? I think I'm midways. Uh, make it happen is something that I actually say quite a lot. And, oh, I uh, So I do believe it. And so that, that kind of came in that way. I think with Charlie's view, there's times when he has to flip the coin because he physically can't move on without someone else making a decision for him. And when Ali's gone, he relies on the coin. But then by the end, he has to then, he then uses it almost like a test. You know, when uh, I do it with my kids, if they can't decide between one thing or the other thing, I'll just say that one then. And then I'll go, oh, and I say, are you disappointed? And they'll say, yes. I said, well, it was the other thing then, wasn't it? And, and same thing with yeah. oh, the point great. where he will just test his decision, flip the coin. Am I disappointed? No. Okay, I'm happy with the decision. He, he still needs a little bit of help, but it's not the same crux he was using. Um, 
for Becca. She's missing her cheerleader now, but she is having to learn that actually she can make things happen, but maybe in a different way than what she originally thought with all her... Oh, her, her distressing little acting jobs, which are so frustrating to her because they're just, um, they're irritating acting jobs. She's just unlucky with the job she gets. Uh, she then has to see that she's not getting the break that she needs and wants. Well, okay, she has to learn to, well, how am I going to readdress that and how do I circumnavigate that to still get the result I want? So from my point of view, fate, I do believe, I absolutely believe sometimes the planets have to align in some way that's out of your control to get what you want. But I do also think that the universe sends opportunities your way. It doesn't owe you anything and it won't give it to you, but they pass your way and you have to be able to spot them to grab them. And Mm -hmm. that's where the make it happen kind of thing comes in for me. Yeah. And not only that, but before the preparation beforehand, if when the, the opportunity comes, if you've been ready then the opportunity comes, you can kind of jump right in and make it yes. happen too. So yes. yeah. Yeah. And that is the other side of things that I wanted to talk about when you say the universe sends you what you need when you need it. And that is the kind of the fate aspect of it and balancing that with the make it happen. Cause I am a make it happen kind of person. I'm like, yes. yes. And I've had to learn specifically for me, it was in my publication journey and I was really muscling through thinking I could make this happen. It, you know, try this way, try this way, yeah. write this kind of book, write this kind of book. And it was really when I kind of sat back and let the opportunities come to me and see the opportunities that were there, that it all came together. The planets aligned, as you said. Do you have examples of that in your life as well, that you can believe in it? Do you know, I, th- I think sometimes, well... Probably for me, it was writing the book as well, because I was at home with, I have four kids under five. And so I was at home because I couldn't physically afford to work with childcare. So, and I thought maybe I had a book in me. And so I tried all different kinds of books, picture books, naughty books, middle grade, YA, (laughs) all, I tried every single way. And it was as much because I needed to keep my brain working with all these little kids, but also I'd been told by a school teacher that my English wasn't good enough to be able to be a journalist. And then I didn't write for 10 years. And then I thought, no, actually, no, I am going to sit and now try to write something full size. I've got a a 5,000 word short story into an anthology. And that was really right now. Somebody thinks you're good enough. Do this because Mm. you've been given the chance. Now you have a springboard. So you're exactly what you say. You have to prepare. You have a sign. Yeah. Yes. yes, and then the moment will come and then you've really got to launch and have a bit of faith in yourself. And I thought, well, do you know, I, I want to see if I can write a full-length novel and then we'll see what happens from there because then, then well, next step, I can, I can see if an agent will have me because I have a book because I can't yes. go to an agent without a book. Yes. And it really yes. does feel sometimes you do have to have the goods. You need the goods to go to market, don't you? And I, I think it's, right. it's that fate can make things. There are things that are out of my control. And I accept that, but at least I can be ready if the moment comes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're doing the work. Yeah. The preparation, putting the the things in place. But then when the, when fate steps in, you do, you got to grab it. There's a pithy little saying about writing. The muse meets you when you're in your chair. If you're not in your chair doing the work, 
you know, the creativity is not going to flow. It has to be both. It has yes. to be both. Yes. It is yes. a meeting, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Well, while we're talking woo-woo things here, yeah. um, <laughs> if you've listened, you know that we have this interest know. in astrology. <clears throat> but it's funny because I stalk people's Instagrams to see if I can figure out when their birthday is. And you do a fun little thing yeah. where you celebrate your birthday six months after <laughs> when it really is. And I'm like, well, this is a new twist. Yeah. By I the way, that. I totally... I have a July birthday, so I understand yeah. why someone whose birthday, I believe, is in January yes. would relegate it to the side I, and summer. choose July instead. I think anyone so, whose birthday comes from mid-November through to mid-February should be allowed to shift their birthday because right? January is just it's the January. worst time. Everybody's doing dry January or they are <clears throat> have no money yeah. left over from Christmas yes. or yeah. they, they're just – Time don't want to come out, or the weather's awful, um, or you yeah. get joint presents, uh, and it yes. just is. So I did that until I was forty-two, and then I thought, no more, I'm done now. No. From now on, it's going <laughs> to be six it. months on. The, the Queen did it; she had an official birthday. I can do it. Uh, so <laughs> I just emailed everyone who ever acknowledged my birthday, and I said. I'm switching it to by six months, same day, just six months on January, J July. And most people, my mother, not being one of them, because you can't. <laughs> of course not. But, but then to be fair, she was there at the time. So we celebrate her pushing. That's right. Um, yes. She, and most people have been up for that. And it means now I can have bare feet. I can wear little dresses. Oh, it's the best thing. I've been so, oh it's best thing I've Yes. That is so amazing. So I, I, I do have a July birthday and my brother is January 10th. And growing up, it was like, you know, how as we're discussing, how you needle siblings. The one yeah. thing I always would be like, that is the worst. What must it be like to have yeah. a birthday in January? Like, no, we have, just, we have I, I needed your brother and I. It's the same oh, day. Oh, no way. Yeah. <gasps> January yeah. 10th. So you're a Capricorn. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I was okay. going to say she's that's a Capricorn thing to do, by the way. An is Aquarius it? is a fixed sign and a fixed <laughs> sign would have never thought I can change my birthday. A Capricorn is a cardinal sign. It's like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I practical. I think I can be very practical and determined about things. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so it's like, this is not working for me. I w it doesn't harm anyone in any way. That's right. I want this instead. And um, I love that. That's, uh, yeah, that's the view I took. Very Capricorn. Very Capricorn. Very, so do you relate? Yes. I mean, it seems this certainly tracks. Yeah, I think I'm, yeah. I I would class myself as woo open as opposed to woo curious. <laughs> and uh, just I'm aware I'm acknowledging crystals now in these years. And okay. uh, I, I also see more things in, in the Capricorn things that are me also the weak the flaws of you know i self-destruct yeah, my inner critic is an absolute bitch and you know those things i i acknowledge yes i see those the thing is though i have identical twin boys they're they're identical twins mm. so it's the same egg but they are very very different mm. so that kind of leaves me a bit mm -hmm. confused but that said you know i have mm. always kind of been aware of my capricornness and uh, yeah, I, I, I can't really run from it, I don't think, really. Yeah. <laughs> I am a Capricorn moon. So that's like how your inner self is. And everything you're describing, the self-destruction, the inner critic, oof, yeah. yeah, that's, it's all. 
it's hard Very... to, to get away from that because when I yeah. have, you know, when I have looked at my horoscope, I'll say, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's those things. It's the, it's the, it's the um, self-sabotaging and they're just being mean to yourself when there's no need, yes. but I do it anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Some things we can't run from. So yes. am I just like your brother? Um, oh, you know, so he funny. actually has, I've done his chart. He doesn't know I've done his chart. So, and he doesn't <laughs> listen to this, so it's fine. It's totally fine. But I got his, you know, obviously I have access to the same mother who knew his exact time of birth, so I could do his yeah. chart. And he has a stellium in Sagittarius, which is three or more signs in Sagittarius. And that means it's sort of, it can in a way trump his sun sign. Like he has so much Sagittarius that yes. I, because I never really thought he seemed very Capricorn, which is why I wanted to, I, I wanted to prove my theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah and this, yeah. this makes a lot more sense to me when I see his whole chart, um, how he is. That is the, so, yeah, that yeah. is the, the thing. We do, we do have to think about twins and I know I, I, we, we actually had, didn't we that? have, we had triplets. Um, Ooh, yeah. isn't a uh, Tracy Garvis was one of, uh, one of three, I think, but Anyway, uh, I think we have to come up with some theory, but it I, it has to be something like, I mean, every sign has, you know, their best qualities and their worst qualities. And I think it's just about kind of dividing them up. Maybe it's just sure. split in half, but I have to do think about that because it is a tricky thing. It's a hard um, piece to Yeah, because they explain. have the exact same chart. I mean, Lucy Vine yeah. was on. She has an yes. identical twin. Yes. And very different. That's I mean, right. Yes, it's, she did. She? The only yeah. thing possible would be the rising sign could be different if the times of birth were really, but that's very unlikely. 30 like, seconds yeah, apart. It is. So really, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to happen. No. Gemini no. twins, they can't make a decision between <gasps> themselves at all. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> Gemini twins. Oh, that's My husband's good. a that's Gemini. A yeah, my son's a Gemini. That's yeah. a lot. And you got Can two of make them. Decisions? <laughs> that is amazing. No. That's no. why he has me. <laughs> Yeah, or, or flip a coin. Give him the Charlie trick of yes. flipping the coin. <laughs> See, you relate. Charlie needed I do. I do. some people to help him too. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yes. Well, we want to, this has been a wonderful conversation, but we want to end with what you're loving right now. Is Are there any books that you're reading, TV shows you're watching, anything that you're obsessed with that you want to share with our listeners? I'm, I'm, Still suffering the joy shell shock that I had from reading um, Lessons in Chemistry, followed by Happy oh. Place, followed by Love Theoretically, all in one hit. And oh. it was just this oh, run of amazing run. books. Yeah, mm. and it, I'm just kind of a bit, oh. And, and as a writer, it means oh, I should just pack up and go home. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> I just had that moment for myself. Uh, Sherry yeah. LaPena's new one. And I'm like, oh. I'm done. I might yes. as well forget it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes a book is inspiring that you love, and sometimes it just gets to the core of you. Or like, I wish I could have written this yes. book, and I will not. And I gotta pack it up. Of course, please don't. Thank you. Of course. But no. Exactly. But you're right. I know it's the feeling. To... I know yeah. the feeling. Yeah. You, you can you can read a book and you think, oh, that premise was so simple and pure and beautiful. Why couldn't I have thought of that? You know, why am I not bright enough to think of that simple, simple purity thing? And uh, yeah, that just kind of like mourning that has to go with that as well. Yes. Um, in terms of, of TV, 
See, I'm always behind. I think I'm still catching up the years where I didn't get to watch television because of children. And so, kids. <laughs> yeah. But what was really interesting, actually, and that came from lockdown, which was when I wrote uh, 10 years as well, was that um, my husband, he does not read fiction. He does not believe in reading fiction because why would you want to read something that wasn't true? So he's all about the disasters and chewing your own arm off to survive and endurance. <laughs> And uh, so during lockdown, there wasn't much to do other than what, catch up all this te- television. And it was, it was uh, murder shows and crime shows that we had never really got around to watching because of the kids. And so in watching those, we suddenly started having this conversation we'd never had before, which was about point of view in fiction writing, because, you know, there's the, uh, are we viewing this from the detective's point of view? Or do we already know who the bad guy is? And we're following it through, or are we actually seeing it from a completely different point of view? And this is these are things that I deal with when I write, but he never thought about because he hasn't mm. read fiction. And so now we were having conversations that we had never had before, and that was really exciting to me. Oh, and also yeah. how there's uh, detective couples where they have no rapport between them, and for me that's poor writing because like, you want that kind of bicker or no, well, just. A, a, yeah. some kind of a relationship between them whether it's push pull or not. Mm-hmm. exactly that mm-hmm. and so in discussing that with him as well you know it made for a more entertaining program he started you know had opinions on which couples wow. worked for him and that was just oh it blew my little mind it really did I yeah. love that yeah. well you say he doesn't read fiction but does he read your books or no no he no. doesn't and I wouldn't oh make him either because he wouldn't I mean he wouldn't like it there's no there's no death and destruction or car chases <laughs> yet and but he does the sweetest thing so he has my business cards in his briefcase and if at any meeting anyone asks what does your wife do he hands out my cards so he supports me in other ways and that's fine yeah he's your cheerleader yes he is it's amazing that is great oh wow i love it he's at a business meeting handing out your card that is perfect Who cares who I am? You should read my wife's novel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. That's fantastic. Yes. Well, Penella, it was so wonderful chatting with you. 10 years is out in the US now. So thank you for joining us. Oh, here. thank We're you so, so much for excited. having me. It's been such a treat. I really have been. And because I'm a fan as well, it's been so great to be able to actually chat with you in real life. So thank you for having me. Love it. Oh, my. Love it. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Pleasure.